Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and uh, before we get started, I just want to give a quick note regarding our new website. And uh, if you're listening and you want to find out more information about the show, um, please do and go to womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. I... Today, I have a, a wonderful guest. I'm, I'm really excited about my guest today. Um, she's one brave lady, and her name is Anne A. Wilson, and Anne is a former Navy helicopter pilot and also author of a book called Hover, which is due to be out uh, this June 2015. Welcome to the show, Anne. Oh, thank you, Sue. Great to have you. Yeah, no, it's great to talk with you. You know, I when I was doing my homework and reading all about you and your background, um, so many things um, impressed me about the work that you've done. And I, I really am interested in finding out where uh, this this interest of yours in, in doing things that really kind of break the, um, the barrier for, you know, uh, gender came from. So I really want to start out with your, your growing up years in Phoenix and um, and your family a bit. Oh yeah, um, well, yeah, I did. I grew up in Phoenix. I was born and raised there, and um, I am the oldest of four children. Um, I'm part of a very large extended Greek family, so I have a lot of a good support system in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom is a retired physician, and my dad's a dentist. Um, and we were very active and outdoors. The weather's nice here all the, all year in Phoenix most of the time. And so we were uh, really active with swimming. And so my brothers and my sister and I, we were uh, competitive swimmers. We swam all year round. So just very active upbringing. So I, I know that you were a competitive swimmer. Mm-hmm. And I guess everyone in your area was was swimming because, as you said, you had the, <laughs> you know, you could be outdoors. So that was a common extracurricular yeah actually it's really common here and we don't have many indoor pools they're all outdoor pools and yeah swimming's a big a big sport out here in the west so (laughs) so let me as a young girl um did you always have aspirations to go into the naval academy Uh, no i didn't um you had asked earlier about you know, doing things that are different for a woman. And, I mean, I didn't know I wanted to go to the Naval Academy growing up. That was something that happened in high school. But my mother was one of those women that kind of was breaking gender barriers, and I think that influence was always there. You know, I didn't really realize it at the time. Mm -hmm. But she became a physician when women, there were not a lot of women physicians. She went to medical school in the 40s. I think she was, there were only four women in her medical school class at the University of Nebraska. So wow. very strong. She's very intelligent. Just, uh, but then that that influence is just always, always there. And 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 you know, not. I always knew she was not afraid to to do what she wanted to do. And you know, there was just you know, th- th- I never had any limits because she had kind of 
<laughs> broken them and shown that you could just do whatever you wanted, really. So, so did you did you learn that from from example, or did she have conversations with you and you know um, and tell you that you could do that? Oh, um, there might have been a few conversations, but it was more just those everyday interactions. I think it's, right. Uh, there was just never. Yeah, never anything, well, you can only do this or you can't do that. It was just, uh, I think, just in, in the day-to-day, that kind of living by example, just between her and my dad, and there was a great respect there, and just never, you can just, yeah, you can just do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about your high school years, Anne. What types of activities did you do in high school? Uh, I would, well, swimming. <laughs> swimming, right? Um, well, you know what? When you're a swimmer, it takes up, I know, a lot of your time. Oh, yeah, because you have workouts in the morning before school, then you have practice after. Right. Um, but I did that, and I, it's hard to believe for me now, but I did do like the, I was on the palm line. <laughs> okay. You have to know the palm line. Um, so, oh, gosh, what else? Just, you know, the normal club activities, things that you do, um in high school, but. And um, so I, I really want to know about when you'd made that decision to go to, into the Naval Academy. What, what, oh. where, what inspired you to do that? Uh, that, I wish I had a really exciting tale to tell you, but it was, I saw the catalog for the Naval Academy in the high school counselor's office. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was in the waiting room. <laughs> I was on the coffee table. And at the time, um, most of my friends, uh, many of them were going to go to Arizona State or University of Arizona or stay within Arizona, and mm-hmm. a lot of the talk was about which Arizona school are you going to go to, which sorority are you going to pledge, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but I was really, and again, I think maybe I got this from my mom, I'm not sure, but I wanted to, I was very ready to do something different. I kind of think I was ready to leave the nest and go explore and do something else, and when I saw that catalog in the high school counselor's office, I said, ooh, this is different. I just sounds great and um yeah just uh, just you know you, you read through the catalog and you know the academy they uh, teach you how to sail and you go on you know cruises on navy ships in the summer and you, you know you're just it just looks like this big you know, they talk about the navy being an adventure and that's cliche but it's like wow it, it really looked really fascinating so that's how yeah it was just the catalog <laughs> wow you know yeah because it is it's well that it speaks to your adventurous side because um I'm sure I saw pictures of the Navy and things, but it didn't, you know, it didn't necessarily move me to want to join. You know, that's know. <laughs> that's a scary thing. Um, let, let's talk about your years there at the Naval Academy. And again, that, you know, um, what, what year was that, Anne? Um, well, I graduated in 89. Okay. Um, so I started in the summer of 1985. Okay. And and what was yeah. the percentage of, of male to female students there? We were less than 10%. I want to say 9% of the student body. We had, gosh, a little over 1,000 men and probably, or I think our whole class was 1,000. The women numbered about, well, we started with over 100, but we ended up graduating 92, I think. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, about, about 10%. Yes. And yeah, we were, go ahead. No, I just, was that intimidating um, at the time, or was that something that kind of motivated you more? Oh, uh, well, you know, I didn't know any better. <laughs> so what, and this is interesting, too, and I just, just thought of this. When when you grow up swimming as a sport, mm-hmm. 
men and women are absolutely equal. I mean, you swim in the same lanes together. You you do the same workouts. You swim in the same races. I mean, everything. I never knew that any there wasn't a difference. You and and you were well respected, and you worked just as hard as the guys, and you were in the weight room. You know, it was just very equal. And so I think going to the maybe I was a bit naive because I got to the Naval Academy and. We, it turned, we our class was the tenth graduating class of women, so still relatively new. Right. Um, but really, I didn't. It wasn't an intimidating thing because I didn't at the time prior to entering. I didn't think there was much of a difference. It just seemed I had always grown up, and the men women difference there wasn't a difference because I just did the same thing that they did. And so, it, no, I wasn't like uh, intimidated. I, I don't think I knew what I was getting into really because. I didn't visit ahead of time. I had never stepped foot on the grounds of the Naval Academy. I applied. I did it all. And then I just showed up. And then, it's, you know, here we are. Wow. And uh, it was... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, here we go. I love your, you know, why not? You're just why not <laughs> attitude. <laughs> but so you went into it, you know, with that mindset. And I think that's so interesting that, you know, swimming kind of... Um, you know, instilled in you this kind of sense that, yes, men and women are equal and, and you were very successful as a swimmer. But when you got there, then what was your experience like over those four years? Well, yeah. The, well, the very first experience is when we were separated into two groups for swimming <laughs> in terms of the swimming aspect. The men had their swim team, the women had theirs. And I always thought that was really funny. <laughs> would have to work out separately. That's why on earth would you do that? So Right. That was a little bit bizarre. Um, and then, gosh, uh, over the four years there, they didn't even have enough women really to spread us. We were spread throughout 36 companies. That's how they divided up the, it's called the Brigade of Midshipmen. Mm-hmm. Just about 4,000 overall in the brigade, roughly 1,000, a little over per class. And But there weren't enough women even to spread us among all 36 companies. So they were, we would have pockets maybe four or five within a company mm-hmm. you know, that were in the same class. So, um, yeah, you, uh, but, and I would have to say the support among the women that were there that was really tight and really great. I mean, those girls are, um, it's amazing how well we connect now, <laughs> 25 years after I've graduated. But, uh, yeah, at, at going through the time, it was more kind of a, well, you know what's interesting? I have to say this. I'm going back and forth, but I was listening to some of your previous interviews just to prepare for this one. Right. Um, and I was listening to the one you did with Tara J. Franks. Yes. And she was amazing. Oh, my gosh, what a wonderful interview. And, you know, this is a sexful woman. Anyway, she was explaining how she went to Spelman College, which was all women's, and it was a very nurturing environment. <laughs> yes. And I had to think. I was like, oh, my gosh, I had such a, the opposite experience. You know, it was almost all male. Um, not quite nurturing. I wouldn't say I would never call it that. Actually, it was more like a survival kind of thing you right. go through. But uh, <laughs> I mean, among the women there, I would say they were very supportive, and we kind of helped each other out to get through. But yeah, I, I, that was this caused me to chuckle. I thought, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's <laughs> so not the ex- just- well. That you know, the training, all of it. That's so interesting when you talk about you know, there really is probably nobody there within the administration or the school that you would describe as nurturing, but yet you had that from your, um, not your colleagues, but the, the female students around you. Would you say that's something that really helped you kind of survive the tough, the tough training aspect? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, it was, um, I mean, these are all very competent 
women that are, you know, they, you know, they're all excelled in high school. You know, you have this really great group that's there, and um, it was just nice because we were all going through kind of the same thing. And you know, at the time, certainly, and gosh, even today, but at the time, there were a lot of people that did not believe women should be in the service academies, shouldn't be in the service at all. Right. And so that I think, you know, if, if something, if you, you know, if you were in a certain situation, maybe where someone wasn't treating you maybe with all the respect that you should get. Um, you know, everyone had been there, I think. So they kind of, it was, you know, they just kind of had been through the same thing. It was very nice to commiserate in that way. <laughs> yeah. How, how did you handle those situations, Anne, when, you, when really, you know, it was obvious that you were being treated differently as a woman? Oh, gosh. You know, um, I think inwardly, I, I, and really I use this throughout my career, is, is try to be as competent as I could be, make sure I was taking care of my own business and doing everything correctly. Mm-hmm. And there were some people's minds that you are never going to change or I was never going to change. And I, it was a very frustrating experience because you said I would know no matter what I would do or it just, boy, the minds were made up. So in, in the meantime, I thought, well, I'm not gonna, I don't want to give anyone anything legitimate to gripe about, and I want to make sure that I take care of my own business and be competent and as long as I, I kind of just tried to do that, and then, you know, hopefully one interaction at a time, I don't know, I could change some minds and, and mm-hmm. let people know, yeah, I can actually do my job. And <laughs> Yeah, that's fantastic. It sounds to me like you had a great sense, and still do, of, you know, self-worth. Um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, like I said, and like I said, I was very lucky, again, going up with the whole swimming background that makes you really strong, and I, again, I never felt like I was you know, different. I just felt like I was kind of going in on the same level. I mean, I've, it, it was kind of a shock to find that there were different views out there. It was an eye-opener. But, yeah, that sense of strong self-esteem. And, again, I had a very strong, well-rooted family. That, you know, so, yeah, I went in probably in the best possible way that I could have gone into that school. So. Mm-hmm. That's terrific. Yeah. Can you tell me about um, the moment you met your husband? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which happened to be at the Naval Academy. It did happen to be at the Naval Academy. And this, yeah. So when I went there, this was the very last thing on my mind was, oh, to meet a, you know, to meet a guy. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I just, not <laughs> in my, I just was nowhere on the radar at all. And, um, you know, just get through, survive, do well in school, make sure you do your thing. Um, but it was at the end of our first year. Mm-hmm. They have commissioning week, and it's a big, long, week-long celebration for the graduates primarily. But they also have a uh, they call it kind of a rite of passage ceremony where you climb this monument in in the yard on Annapolis and in Annapolis. And when you get done, then the the freshman class, the plebe class, now you've graduated. And one of the one of our classmates who lived locally in Annapolis, he had a big celebration party for our class, and so that's where I met him. Um, we were all in civilian clothes, like first time. <laughs> that whole first year, you're really not allowed to go out without your uniform, so that was kind of strange being in civilian clothes. And yeah, I met him there, and um, gosh, it was one of those just, boy, I don't know, they talk about love at first sight, but I mean, it was one of those just like, bam, you know, whoa, yeah. there he is, okay, shoot. <laughs> and that's the one. I wasn't oh. planning for this, but here it is. Oh, yeah, it was exactly like that. I was like, oh my goodness. I, oh, that's Yeah, so nice. I never saw that one coming, but yeah. And what, what year was that, in? Was that your freshman year? That was, yeah, at the end of our freshman year. So that was wow. 80, whatever that was. So you've been together a long time. 
Yeah, we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary because we uh, got married like three weeks after graduation. Okay. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. So now I want to know when you decided that flying helicopters was was the path that you wanted to take. Uh, (laughs) And when do you have to, you know, when when you're in the Naval Academy, is there a certain year or time when you have to decide, you know, what part of the service you're going to go into or what you're going to do, I should say? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. But um, we have something called service selection night when you're a first class. First class means you're a senior, you're in the last year there. Mm-hmm. And you are, they have the order that you are, uh, they put you in class order via rank, so academically, like where you're standing. <laughs> so, and the very first person on the list who has the best grades, they get to pick first oh, what they okay. want to do. And all the jobs are out there, so you can, Depending on the community you'd like to go into, you can go into Navy Air, you could go to submarines, supply corps, surface warfare, special operations, cryptology, intelligence. And, and, and leading up to that, every, um, of course, during the course of the year, you're learning about the different communities in the Navy. But every summer, they would send you two different communities to learn about them. So we would spend four weeks on a ship, or we would go to Quantico, to the Marine Corps base, and learn how the Marines and what they do. And you, you, So you got to dabble and, and see each of the communities and kind of get your mind around what you thought you would like to do. And mm-hmm. then come first class year, depending on your rank, then you would pick what yeah. you'd like to do. So what was it about flying helicopters that was appealing? Well, at the time, well, so when you're at the Naval Academy, you're not even selecting what type of aircraft. You're just picking Navy Air. Navy Air, so okay. I want to be an aviator. Right. That selection for helicopters, props, or jets comes when, when you're in flight school. Mm-hmm. Um, but for aviation, oh, my goodness. Um, it just, <laughs> it wasn't, and I, again, it wasn't like I had always wanted to be a pilot or anything like that, but it was, again, that kind of adventurous, that'd be really great to, to yeah. learn how to fly. Yeah. That'd be something. So, and, and it just turned out that I had the class rank that allowed me to do it. So, yeah. That's, that's so exciting. That's, you know, there's, there's, it's certainly um, something that um, you have to have some courage <laughs> to do that, to make that decision and then to actually do that. Um, well, well, I don't know if I, <laughs> again, it's this whole, uh, you don't know what you don't know. I think right. it's, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, gosh. And again, I wonder, gosh, would I really have done that? Was I courageous? I don't know. I don't think I was. I was just not, I mean, I knew a little bit about aviation, but I really didn't. And then, uh, so yeah, I, there, you know, I just go well, in and gosh. <laughs> I think there's something for naivete, right? <laughs> Sometimes hell. I know I would love to say that, oh, I'm this brave person, but <laughs> I don't know. I think I just, uh Anyway. <laughs> um, here's, I, you know, when you're in the Naval Academy and you are, you know, swimming at a collegiate level and you are training and the academics are not easy, right. um, how did you handle all of that? What was your, um, I guess, your, your philosophy for managing your time and doing it effectively? Oh, boy. I def- that was definitely a crash course in time management. Um, <clears throat> fortunately, at Navy, they, they kind of lay it out for you, so you have kind of your schedule. Um, 
and a lot of it is, and you just, I think you just learn very, very fast, you, just, you know, whether, at the time, gosh, I can't even believe this, we didn't even have computers, <laughs> and so we wow. had to go to the library for our computers, but I had a, like a planner, and I just, like a day planner, and you yeah. would mark out the, what you needed to do, just kind of like what people do now, I think, on a calendar, and, um, you just stayed that, on top I mean, of it. What's that? You just stayed on top of it. I tried. Uh, <laughs> sometimes, I mean, I felt, I mean, you know, I was one of those people that would be studying at night. I would fall asleep on my books. It was just, <laughs> oh, it, I mean, because we, it, oh, gosh. I mean, so I, I would love, again, I would love to say that I did that really well, and I was super on top of it, but I was just really trying to hang on. The schedule was, you know, it's like you're taking 21 credit hours, and then you're doing your swimming, and then you have your military stuff, and it just, yeah, oh were you God. tired? <laughs> oh, I was exhausted. Yeah. I was absolutely exhausted. And, yeah, you just kind of go and take a deep breath. And, and, I mean, your schedule was there. And, like, I don't know, again, how to manage it. Yikes. Uh, took a lot of deep breaths and said, all right, next thing. Right. <laughs> just keep going. So, Anne, yeah. you, you, um, you spent nine years in active duty um, mm-hmm. as a pilot. Um, I would love to know what one of your proudest moments was oh my goodness um hmm. i had a i mean i had a lot of moments and when i mean proud what i mean is when everything clicked with my air crew um in helicopters we were really fortunate the helicopters that i flew in because we had two pilots and then usually three air crew in the back um and particularly in my shore duty my second tour, um, we, I was in a search and rescue squadron, mm-hmm. that was our primary mission. Um, we were based at Naval Air Station Fallon, Nevada, which is near Reno, and there's desert bombing ranges out there, and we were the search and rescue asset for that base, and all the carrier air wings prior to deploying, they go out to these bombing ranges and they practice, and we're the asset for them. Um, however, we also, gosh, 80% of our rescues were with civilian rescues, so the Sierra Nevada mountain range and Lake Tahoe is all right there. And so we were the search and rescue asset for that region. Um, mm-hmm. So anything that was high altitude mountain technical rescue is what we specialized in. So the sheriffs would help, like they had climbers that were stuck on a mountain or hikers or skiers, and we did a lot of that. So in terms of proud moments, I would say just overall as a, an enti- you know, that, that whole command was amazing because you were doing search and rescue as a mission and it was, and, and when your air crew really clicked and really, you know, we were just, gosh, it was such a neat, um, you because we were very well trained and and uh, that synergy when when you're you're everyone's thinking the almost that same and you're just on and uh, yeah it it, it was, that's pretty neat when you can affect a rescue and it's really risky and it's dangerous but everyone's in the crew is just well trained and you're just on. Um, so, yeah, I can say there's a lot of proud moments in that, that tour. <laughs> yeah. How about, you know, I read about a specific rescue, Anne, that you did in, in 1997 uh-huh. for 13 people, I believe. Uh-huh. Can you talk about that? Oh, yeah. That was, um, they called it the 100-year flood. It, was, it affected Yosemite and Reno. Mm-hmm. And the, it, we, they had a heavier-than-normal snowpack that year, and then a warm front came through, and it started raining, and all the... It melted the snow, and the Truckee River flooded, and the Merced, and the Walker River. So 
I mean, Reno Airport was almost underwater. I mean, there's these pictures you can see. The planes are just sitting up on these little perches. It looks like a lake. And anyway, so this, we had 13 people that were trapped in the Walker River, um, which is south of Lake Tahoe. Um, and we were, and, and in fact, when we were called to launch, we couldn't because the weather was too bad. And we finally got a window, and then we launched, and the river had just, uh, it was in a canyon, and um, the, the water rose so quickly it just surrounded these structures. And so we were originally called to rescue a family of three that was stuck in the middle of the canyon. And um, there were members of the Swift Water Rescue Team on hand because we couldn't launch. They were trying to get to them. And six members of the team, they themselves got trapped in the floodwaters. So by the, fine, the time we launched, we, when we got there, our, we had nine people in this canyon area that we were going to rescue. And it was one of those rescues. It was by then the sun had set, so it was night. It was raining, swirling, really crazy winds in this canyon. And it was, it was almost like a movie. I mean, literally you're plucking these people off structures, and within five minutes the structure was just gone or the tree was gone. Whatever these people were clinging, it was just crazy. But, yeah, so that was that rescue. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know, and that's so dangerous for you as, you know, as the pilot. Right, there's a lot involved in in you know yeah. keeping yourself safe while you're trying to save others. Yeah, yeah, that is a great point that you bring up because um, just in search and rescue, well, and any flying, but you're always doing that risk assessment. And, mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, there are so many times when you're in a position where, yeah, you're trying to <laughs> determine. Oh gosh, you know, am I? Because I was the mission commander on that flight, so. You're responsible for the crew for the aircraft, and right. you know, are you going to risk your crew of five to rescue someone else? And you have to kind of figure out how that's. And a lot of times, I mean, we did. I mean, there's. I mean, you just kind of had to to get to people. Mm-hmm. And we had such a selfless group that they were just charged up, and I mean, there was never. I mean, it was always like, yeah, let's go do it. <laughs> let's go. Do, well, that was, I was going to say, did you ever have a, an instance where, you know, you assessed the situation and, and realized it was too dangerous to do it? Yeah. I mean, there were some that were really clear cut. And what we would do in that case, we would adjust, you know, maybe we couldn't land or pick them up right there, but we could land lower and hike up or we could, I mean, somehow we would get them. <laughs> uh, it just might not be the first or most optimal way, but yeah, there's definitely dangerous situations, especially at high altitude because, you don't have the power available mm-hmm. uh, to do certain things. And so um, there's less air, the, there's less for the rotor blades to grip. And often we were up at 12,000, 13,000 feet. And so we might have, we might just be too heavy. So we'd have to either drop uh, people off or throw equipment out of the aircraft or, you know, we'd figure out some way to do it. Right. I mean, so we did, I mean, we weren't, we were definitely cognizant of, you know, if it was just out of the question, man, this isn't going to work, but then we would usually figure out something else. Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing yeah. to me. So during those nine years, was your husband in aviation as well? Yeah, he was. He, he was. was. Um, we went through flight school together, and um, we were, after flight school, well, during flight school, we both selected helicopters, and then we were stationed in San Diego flying different aircraft. Mm-hmm. And, um we even, even our first Western Pacific deployment when we went to the Persian Gulf the first time, we were actually in the same battle group, which was not 
the Navy didn't do that on purpose. It was sort of an accident. We just happened to be assigned to the same <laughs> group. So his helicopters and his people were on one ship, and I was on a different one. And yeah, we were able to do that whole first tour together, and then actually, and then we were stationed again together. We had, we were able to stay together for the whole nine years, which was amazing. Yeah, that that yeah, is we were amazing. Really yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the years after. Um, after that, you you went and worked at Intel Corporation, I did. Yeah. and my goodness, that's a whole different type of work <laughs> than the exciting, adventurous, you know, important work that you were doing um, in aviation. So, what was that transition like? Oh my gosh, that was the craziest transition. Um, because now you're in a very corporate environment. I mean, granted, we were working in a, we were manufacturing semiconductors, and we actually worked in the clean room. So we worked. The research and development fabs for Intel are in Hillsboro, Oregon, mm-hmm. and that's where we worked. And uh, we were operations managers, so we were in charge of, you know, a gaggle of technicians, 40, 50, 60 technicians, it just depended, and, and the tools that they ran to build the semiconductors. And we actually wore clean room suits, and we'd go in the fab and, you know, make sure the production line and everything was running like it was supposed to run. Mm-hmm. Um, but very, oh my gosh, was it different? And and <laughs> I mean, we had just you know just the. It was very. I mean, there was a lot of times you, uh, you know, we had just come from this, like you said, this very crazy, lots of risk um, environment, and you know, we would get to Intel, and I remember Bill and I laughed because they had this one day where they were talking about stair safety. <laughs> Like, you had to be very careful <laughs> stairs and hold the handrail, and they had all these posters up that said, be safe, and they'd have a picture of a bee that would say, be safe on the stairs, and we'd hold the, we're like, are you That is so funny. You know, I just, and I mean, that, I don't know, maybe that was, some fell down the stairs, I'm not sure what, what promoted, you know, what prompted that. That was the high risk at the new job, falling down the stairs. Exactly, yeah. and, and they would have monitors, I mean, they would make sure you were holding the rail, I thought, oh my gosh, so... I've done we, things more dangerous than this. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but yeah, we did. We kind of, you know, we and, you know, we were very lucky. So this is the other thing: we were recruited by a person who was in the army, and it just so happened that this individual loved to recruit former military. So my shift of other operations managers, we were all prior military. So we had Navy, Army, <laughs> and. <laughs> That was great. I mean, talk about a great environment because we all kind of had come from the same background and, yeah. you know, and then we were all being safe now at Intel together. But it right. Was <laughs> safe yeah. in, in the building together. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, and we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I, I want to talk to you about um, all the traveling that you've done. Okay. We'll, be, we'll be right back. Are you looking for something special to wear to an event, on a date, or out with the girls? Nevada is a Philadelphia-based luxury label designed for the effortlessly chic global nomad. Our ready-to-wear and custom pieces, which include bridal wear by the way, are inspired by artistry and travel. The line is intriguing and exotic. After all, fashion should create a sense of escape. So go ahead, escape with Nevada, and make a timeless impression. Please visit us online at nevadacouture.com.
Drexel University's LeBeau College of Business is more than a place to earn a degree. It's the epicenter of critical new ideas, an entrepreneurial spirit, and a powerful network of over 2,500 corporate partners. From March 2nd through the 6th, get an inside look at what it's like to be part of the LeBeau online community with a free digital test drive. Participants will be able to experience online learning, explore student support services, and interact with Drexel faculty, staff, students, and alumni. Drexel's bachelor's and master's business programs rank among the best in the nation, with the online MBA recently being named as the number one program in the world for career services after graduation by Financial Times. Join the LeBeau test drive and experience studying as an online business student. Visit drexel.com slash online. That's drexel.com slash l-e-b-o-w online to sign up today. Drexel.com slash l-e-b-o-w online. Reimagine the future of business with Drexel University's LeBeau College of Business. Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch on WWDB Talk 860. I'm being joined today by uh, Ann A. Wilson, and Ann is a former Navy helicopter pilot, and she's also the author of a book called Hover, um, which we're going to get into for sure a little bit later in the show. Um, and one of the things I was curious about was the amount of traveling that you've done. Um, you've been to many countries, and I wanted to know if you, as far as the women that you met and, and saw and worked with, if there were any differences that kind of stood out for you um, from women in the, in the different cultures and places that you've been. Oh, gosh. Other um, than the obvious, you know. Um, like in the Middle East? <laughs> yeah, well, yes. Yeah. yeah. That was, I have to just say, that was... <clears throat> Boy, that was eye-opening, um, because when we were deployed there, mm-hmm. we had time off, not time off, but we, we, we could leave the ship if we pull into port and go into Dubai, or we were in a port called Jebel Ali a lot of times in the United Arab Emirates, and I remember they had a mall there, like a, like the Dubai Mall, and um, this was before a lot of the new, I mean, now Dubai is like a lot more modern, mm-hmm. a lot more buildings, but at the time, they had this one mall, and everyone would go to the shopping mall, and Wow, and I remember they would tell us we had to dress very conservatively and wear long sleeves and wear long pants and you know, definitely make sure we were dressed you know, covered. And um, But seeing the women in the mall shopping just covered and, and very different, wow. And, and, not, and just, you know, those things like I wasn't allowed to ride in the front seat of a taxi and I had to be in the back and just, just those, like, wow, that, that was just a shocker. <laughs> so that was, I guess, on the extreme end of, you know, and I didn't get to speak with those women, unfortunately. That's something I would have loved to have had the opportunity to do, and I never got the opportunity to speak with someone who lived there. But um, yeah, but yeah, but in the other <clears throat> cultures, just depending where I, gosh, I'm trying to think. Um, uh, gosh, if you're in, you know, Greece or Italy, you know, it's a very family-oriented and very, um, you know, the the women there, I mean, again, very capable and smart. That's the one thing I have to say across the board. There's so many just capable women and just kind of based on their culture and how they were brought up, where they're, you know, as far as where their talents and their energy, where it was put, it was just in different areas. Mm -hmm. And I always thought to myself, gosh, with all these people I meet around the world, Singapore, Hong Kong, what have you, put them in any different culture and they probably would have thrived and done really well just depending on where they 
happened to grow up. Right. Yeah, that's it. That's interesting. I guess it made it makes you very grateful for, you know, the freedoms that we have and the opportunities. Oh my gosh! Absolutely. I and um, in fact, I was thinking because I had written a blog article the other day, a blog article and um, the other day about um, just my Greek heritage and growing up and how when. Uh, Yaya means grandmother in Greek, and mm-hmm. the Yayas, they would always ask when you're growing up as a girl in a Greek community, you know, when are you going to get married, when are you going to have children? You know, that was the focus. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, and really, they, you know, a lot of them did not know any different. They had come from Greece. They, that was it. You married and you have children. And I thought, my gosh, here I am. I was born in this country at the right time with the right freedoms, and what an amazing opportunity and my life just took a completely different direction you know had I been born in a different country different time would have been completely different so yes you are you hit the nail on the head right there yeah yeah and also of course you know the 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 parents that you had too again were such great role models and instilled in you that that thought that you know you you really could go and do anything that you wanted yeah oh yeah. yeah yeah without question I have to tell you one of my favorite weddings favorite weddings Favorite movies of all time is My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which is where I learned everything about the Greek culture. (laughs) Oh, yes, that's my life. That was my life. Was that your life? Oh, my gosh. You want to know how Ann Wilson grew up? Yeah, so just rent My Big Fat Greek Wedding. (laughs) We have the extended Greek family. We have just the food and the, I mean, just that whole, I was like, I just kind of nodded my head the whole time. Yeah. Oh, that's That's about right. (laughs) That is so funny. It really is one of the best movies. Um, so I want to get to, you know, the day I love your story about how you were inspired to write the book and, you know, that you, you know, you were not a writer. Um, it's not something you had planned as a goal for yourself. And, uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you about is the day that you said that you were running. Um, and for the listeners, they should know that you're extremely, um, active and you're a triathlon, um, competitor and you, you're now coaching, um, athletes in triathlons and swimming and everything. So you were running and you were listening to uh, your favorite band, The Muse. Oh, yeah. And there was something about that song uh-huh. uh, that touched you and, and, and kind of said, you know, the, the things that I've been writing in my journal need to be in a book. Yeah. It, well, and, and it, initially when I was running, it was I had just finished a novel and I was just thinking about what I was going to read next. And it just led to contemplating, gosh, what would be Anne's ultimate escape novel? Like, what would that be? And by the end of the run, I had the premise for a story. And to this day, I don't know what you know, prompted me to sit down at the computer, but I actually wrote it out. I wrote the first chapter of the story that I would want to read mm-hmm. and handed it to my husband. And I asked him, can you read this? And he's like, what is this? And, you know. <laughs> what have you been doing behind the closed door? <laughs> And I'm like, well, I kind of wrote this story. (laughs) You know, and here's me with just all engineering, math background, never, ever thinking about writing at all. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a few humanities electives, but not, you know. Anyway, so he read it, and he's like, wow, you know, this is pretty good. I want to know what happens next. So, anyway, once I started writing, I just, oh, my gosh. There was a side of me. I had no idea it was there, but it was like a spigot. It opened, and then now I can't shut it off. I just, I that fiction and writing and making things up. And I just, I, um, and actually, and actually, um, I, I hadn't thought, I did not write the Navy book first. So this novel, Hover, that's coming out, was mm-hmm. actually my fifth 
I wrote four books prior to that. Okay. Um, three were epic fantasy, <laughs> and one was uh, like a medical thriller. Um, but the, the whole time I was writing, I was learning how to do this and taking online courses and kind of trying to get better as a writer. And then when I finally decided, gosh, you know, I've really got to maybe see if I can get published because I really, really want to do this, um, that's when I thought, well, maybe it would be better, or if I'm trying to get published, you keep hearing that you need to have something unique and different. And, um, I thought, well, maybe we, you know, this would be unique and different. Have some like a, I tend to write love stories, and so I thought, wow, if I could set that in a Navy battle group with some action, and that could be kind of fun. So that's what I did. Yeah. So I know that everyone wants to know if the book is is based on your own life, and there's certainly similarities. The you know the, the main yeah. character Sarah Denning is is a Navy pilot. Yeah. And so how much would you say of the book did you you know extract from your own life, and how much is fiction? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. So the story, oh, boy, um, probably, well, I have to answer this in two ways. It's hard to give a percentage because the story as a whole is definitely a fictional story mm-hmm. I've made up. I mean, there's a lot of my personality in the main character's personality, but, mm-hmm. of course, we're different, too. And what I would say is that there's many scenes within the book, like peppered throughout the book, that I just took from my journals. You know, I just said, oh, that's interesting, and I, you know, maybe the country was different, or maybe the whatever, Mm -hmm. but I just wove it into the story. So, yeah, when my um, parents and my family, when they first read the book, you know, it was this kind of guessing game to see, oh, what, did that really happen to Anne, or what was real and what was not, and, um, but yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of my, definitely, there's a lot of my experiences that are in there, but. Would you, have you ever considered writing a, a, a book of your own life story? No. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. no. I didn't. I don't know why, but that makes me, I'm not a very, um, I just, uh, very introverted person, actually. So I I just don't, um, like having my story out there just seems so weird to me. And even talking to you in this interview and telling my life story is like, what? It just, uh, (laughs) it's, uh. Not, I don't yeah. think you realize, you know, some of the amazing things that you've done, oh. which ma- which makes you so incredibly endearing to me because, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, it's um, you've done some incredible things with your life that it's not, you know, the normal cor- course, especially for women. Yeah. And um, you're just very, uh, you know, I, you ju- I just don't think you realize how how cool it is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, so yeah, this is, yeah, so the hover, I don't know, I don't, well, I don't know, yeah, it's the thing, I don't think you realize, because you're just kind of bumping along, and you don't really. Right, doing what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, for the listeners, I want them to know, the book is going to be pu- coming out in June, is that correct? Yeah, June 2nd in hardcover, and it's, way, um, Macmillan, Toward Forge is publishing it, and okay. um, it'll be in Kindle and all the e-platforms as well, and then audio and the whole deal yeah well we'll we'll get that out on our website as well and and social media and let everyone know about it um i wanted to to talk to you now about uh what made you decide to start your own business oh my gosh okay so bill and i as my husband bill we were uh working at intel and we were having our we have twin boys Mm -hmm. and at the time they were 18 months old, and we were having a discussion about life. And one of those moments when we were thinking ahead and thinking, what are we going to tell our kids 
to do, like when they grow older, what advice will we give them? And uh, Bill said, well, tell them to do anything but what we're doing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Because, and I think it was getting to us, you know, it was four years in corporate America, and it was like, oh, boy. Missing the adventure. Yeah, the square peg, the round hole, you know, just and you're in a cube, and just the whole, for us, and I feel badly, because, I mean, all the people you interview are these amazing businesswomen, I'm like, oh, gosh, but for us, (laughs) it was really... Oh, I mean, it was just hard for us, I think, to mm-hmm. sit there. Once we'd done what we had done, I don't know. But um, but so when Bill said that, he's like, anything but what we're doing now. And then when he just looked at each other, like, well, what are we doing? Right. Why <laughs> are we doing it? Yeah. Why are we doing it? And in the meantime, <laughs> we had been, so we had been triathletes since college, mm-hmm. biking, running, and for a long time. And what had happened is we had been uh, kind of coaching our coworkers, like they wanted advice for how to train or can you help me learn to swim Anne? and I would help them with swimming and we found when we were talking this out that we really enjoyed coaching more than what we were doing and we thought you know maybe we could do coaching maybe we could try that and so we I still cannot believe we did this we have 18 month old twins and we sold our house we quit our job this is intel my parents were like what are you doing (laughs) and then we moved to Arizona moved in with my parents thank God for my parents, right. and started our business. I mean, literally from my old bedroom, like when I was a little kid growing up, we started our business for coaching. And um, anyway, but now, yeah, we're in our 12th year of triathlon coaching. So yeah. that was kind of the, what prompted that. And you, and, and do you, you coach online as well as in Arizona? So you coach people yeah. all over the world or the country? Yeah, world, world, country, yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's there's so many people today, certainly, you know, more than when we were growing up um, that are really focused and into to fitness. And gosh, everybody I know is running, except me. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's running triathlons, yeah. making me look bad. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but what is it, what is it about the coaching that you love so much? It, oh, for me, it's that, um, the, just that personal interaction, helping people to do things that they didn't think was possible things that were possible they they so many beginners they're ready for a change in their life and it's so rewarding when they say you know what I want to do a triathlon and they're they've been completely sedentary mm-hmm. and we start with a really gentle run walk program and, and it's a very gradual thing but it is amazing to watch the transformation happen with people with their self-confidence with it just, and, and particularly, I know we talk about, about women, but we see this with women particularly. It's just amazing how they can change and they get strong and you can see it. And it's like in their their mind and their attitude and what they're doing. It's just it's so uh, rewarding to see that. So, I mean, just that, just watching people's, you know, and I mean, times are great and awards are great, but for really it's just that personal growth. You, mm-hmm. that, you see someone, I mean, literally they are changing before your eyes, not only physically, but mentally and, and it's great it's yeah really, really rewarding right so tell, tell me about the tell me first you know how, how do you do this online is there do you have a certain um, method that you use with all of your clients yeah yeah and we have two parts to our business so one part is this training program so we can do this we can send person a person a training program just through email um, and it lists 
like we list the duration, the frequency, and the intensity of every workout that they need to do mm-hmm. um, for every day of the week. So we have a lot of business professionals that are very busy, busy people, and they don't have, they're just like, you know, I don't have time to think. You just need to tell me what to do so that I can put it on my calendar and do it. Right. And they just want to wake up and look and say, okay, that's what I have to do, and then go. So that's where the online part is very easy because they can just, they get their schedule in the mail and they mm-hmm. look at what they need to do. And then, and we're definitely a 24-7 coaches. I mean, they call and email. I mean, we are, we work every day of the week, all hours, you know, because people are always having something like, oh my gosh, my, you know, I've injured my foot or I forgot my bike on my trip or I, there's just a million things that come up and we're kind of always there to kind of help people through. But that's how the online portion works. And then for people that are local, we offer all, of course, the technical services. Like I spend my days at the pool. I teach people to swim. I teach adults to swim. Mm-hmm. Um, for some, I teach, uh, I was, oh gosh, going back to that rewarding part. Um, there's many adults that I teach that want to do triathlon that um, know how to swim, but just need to learn how to swim more efficiently. But what's really neat is when I teach the people who are afraid of the water or maybe they've had a near-drowning experience, and we are starting from zero. Like, wow. just, you know, just I just sometimes just sit on the steps in the shallow area and we just talk, and it's like 95%, you know, psychologist, psychiatrist mm-hmm. talking and just kind of figuring out what it is behind and what the barrier is to get into the water. And, and, and it, oh, gosh, is that amazing. I would have to say probably of all the, all the experiences we have in triathlon is getting people who are afraid of the water in and just and, and, because it's so empowering for these people. Just, it, it, sometimes they, they tell me, like, oh, this changes my life because now I can do this. I can put my head underwater. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's pretty, that was, yeah. And for, so, yeah. you know, for adults, this is something that they not done for years and years and years, I guess, as opposed to a child who, yeah. you know, it's normal to learn when you're young how to swim. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and then there's a lot of different reasons for the adults that maybe their parents had a near-drowning experience and they're afraid for their kids, so they were never taught. Or, gosh, there's a lot of reasons. I was so surprised. We were so surprised at the volume of swimming uh, that we would need that we would have to handle the number of people that either wanted to learn to swim or were afraid to swim. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of open water training. A lot of people, the triathlons happen in lakes and the ocean, and people might be okay in the pool, but they get in the open water, and it's a totally different ball game. And, you know, the brain takes over, and that fear kind of takes hold, and suddenly, oh, my gosh, I'm in the middle of a lake, and ah, there's <laughs> no bottom, and there's no stripe, and I can't see anything. And yeah. uh, So I do a lot of uh, lessons where we go out and I swim together with people out in the open water and kind of get them past that fear so that they can go and enter their race and that's really that's great too. Yeah, very rewarding. How oh, did yeah. you, how did you learn yourself that this psychological piece of it? In other words, did you take any courses on how to help people? Um, you know, from that psychological piece to overcome the fear, or is it something that you just naturally um, were able to do because of your own experience? Uh, Probably a combination. Um, For sure, you know, going through the, especially through the Navy, I mean, we were always in leadership positions where you're always very attuned to the people that are in your group and just very aware of feelings and where people are in their day because especially when you take off in the aircraft, everyone's got to be on the same page and Mm -hmm. Make sure we're all good. So I think part of it's that, just kind of being that aware. But then I think a lot of it's just to experience. I mean, the more you just, and I'm, I'm always been an observer. I mean, I'm always, 
you know, I'm not the one that's normally speaking. Like right now when I'm speaking with you, this is very out of, <laughs> out of the norm. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the listener. So, um, but just listening. And, 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 and most people, that's what I find. They just need someone to listen. Nobody listens anymore. And even, you know, they go to the doctor and they just are run. They're in, they're out, they're done. And, and they, there's so few people that will sit down and take time with you anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think... You know, when people come to me for a swim lesson, I cannot tell you the number of times that the person sits in the pool and we'll talk for 30 minutes, 40 minutes before we do a stroke because they just yep. want to tell me about their day. Yeah, to, yeah, know, it's so true. going to listen to them. And yeah. It's, it's, so, yeah, I think a lot of it's that. Just, yeah. There's, I, I would say sometimes there's a spiritual um, piece to it as well, wouldn't you say, when, when they overcome it, someone who has had that fear for their oh, whole life? Yes. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And it's it's this, um, gosh, if I could uh, explain it, it's like this centering. If you could just imagine something's just like, it just, it just slots right into their center and like they're good right where they are. And that's the thing with swimming. Most people are trying to just get to the end and they're frantically splashing and just get me to the wall. And what I have to get them, my swimmers, to a place is where they can be okay right where they are. I mean, it's mm. like a metaphor for life, be where you are. So right. like yes. they, you, ha- you can't be trying to get somewhere. You have to be very comfortable and very relaxed, like you're on a swimming treadmill. Like you could just swim right there all day, breathe in and out, very relaxed. And we talk a lot about breathing mechanics and calming techniques and relaxing, but just being where you are, mm-hmm. not trying to get anywhere, by being where you are. I mean, you're going to get where you want to go, but you're going to do it in a relaxed way and in a very poised way and but yeah so this is funny how the 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 stuff you learn in swimming i mean it definitely translates to life i think it does yeah we talk so often about you know being being in the present but in our you know the culture today is everything is fast and and we're multitasking and we're thinking about the next task that we're going to do and we're never we're never in the moment really Oh, oh gosh yeah no you're you are so right, and it's so different. I mean, when we get in the pool, and you can tell people have just come from work. They're rushing in. They got their suit. They jump in. You know, they've just got a bazillion things on their mind. And yeah. Just like, you're missing Whoa. the whole thing. You're missing it. <laughs> yeah. So we take a deep breath, and we relax, and if they need to talk about work just for a minute just to get it off the chest, we do that. Mm-hmm. Then it's done. Right. And then we're doing breathing exercises. I mean, a lot of it's meditative. It's like It's like yoga or a lot of these things where you just have to kind of we do relaxing skills. We float. People kind of look at me funny sometimes, but we do floating where I just let go limp. Let the water support you. Just blow bubbles just to hang out. And, and just you see the tension just leaving, and you see the change in the body demeanor, and you see the change in the respiratory rate, and you see you know just all these things when they're just in this very still place. Their head is underwater. The noises are away. There's no music. There's no sound, no cell phone, no nothing. And they're just underwater, and they're very, it's like it's kind of this primal thing. <laughs> like, you know, you're just hanging there and floating, and, yeah, people usually, you know, they get done with the lesson, they're like, huh, okay. Well, you, you, Anne, you have the most beautiful voice, so I think that probably oh. your your voice adds to that. It, you know, it's kind of like when you do yoga, um, the voice is a very powerful component of that. So you're making oh. me want to go to a pool after this and float. <laughs> 
Oh, you should. It is really, you would love it. I mean, you'd be surprised. And because that's the other thing, too, because people, real, they think they have to fight. That's the other thing. Most people, again, instinctually, you just think you have to fight to stay above the water, but you don't. Mm, if you the let go, will, yeah. You let go, just take a breath, plop over, relax, and you'll just kind of hang there. And it's really, it's, I think it's empowering. It's like, wow, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just leaving the leaving the crazy every day for a few minutes is is probably yes. very healthy. Yes. <laughs> yes. I you know what I want to backtrack just for a quick second um, because I remember reading that uh, in 2011 um, it was it came out I guess in the news that women were being assigned to submarines for the yeah. very first time, which I was quite surprised that it was only in 2011. Yeah. Um, and, and that had an impact on you. And I think it had, you know, an effect in your um, wanting to kind of write about breaking gender barriers. Oh, yes. So you are so right. Um, in that book publishing, kind of that process when I was writing and I started looking into publishing and everyone said, you have to have a story that's unique. But I, at the time, I couldn't think of one. I just thought, I don't know. And I just kept, was, I was writing epic fantasy and just... I didn't know what was unique about that, and I didn't think there was anything unique about what I was writing. Um, but when we heard, when I read that article that women were going to be assigned to submarines first time, breaking gender barriers, I was like, oh my gosh! And I and I went in, I told my husband, I said, guess what? They're putting women on submarines. Isn't this great? The final this gender barrier is being broken. And he's like, and my husband said, well, Anne, you did that. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and he goes, that's your story. That's what you need to write about. So it was that's really right. my husband who was the one who said, you should, because when, at the time when we were, women were still not allowed to be assigned to combatant ships when I was out there on ships. And, you know, on the first ship that I went on, there was only two women. And we were the first women to deploy on that ship. There was a crew of like 500. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was definitely many situations where I was the only one or one of two in, in a squadron or what have you. And But so Bill was, my husband was like, you know what, that, maybe you should do something with that. And so that's exactly how that, how Hover came to be. It was really with that women being assigned as submarines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great, that's a great, great story. And, you know, it's a great way to end this show. We're, we're actually yeah. at the end. And okay. um, I love the fact that you were breaking barriers and you didn't even know it. You were just doing yeah. it. <laughs> going about and doing your thing. And thank you so much for spending time with us today. I can't wait to read the book. And I'll be sure to, um, you know, put it out there on the website and social media and let people know. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Again, I was with Ann A. Wilson today, former Navy heli- helicopter pilot and author of Hover. Um, If you'd like to find out more about our show, please go to our website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Have a great week, everyone.